Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Disciple Makers Podcast. This is your host, Dave Stovall, and we're about to jump into one of the last four track sessions from last year's forum. It features Curtis Sargent from Zume Training. Zume Training is an online and in-life learning experience designed for small groups who follow Jesus to learn how to obey His Great Commission and make disciples who multiply. They've got courses, guidebooks, and online groups, so make sure to check out zume.training after you finish this episode. All right, everybody, let's jump into the episode and hear from Curtis Sargent. Enjoy. Lord, we thank you that you are the consummate coach, mentor, trainer, guide. Lord, I pray that you would help us grow in our ability to do those things well. To pass on to others what we receive and to do it effectively so they can do the same for others. Amen. So, effective implementation of training cycle to multiply disciples. All right. So, the training cycle is, you know, I guess there's probably a hundred names for that, um, but, or ways to describe it. The way I like to summarize it is in four stages. Model, assist, watch, and leave. All right. The idea behind it is there is something or some set of somethings that I'm wanting to equip others in so that or in a way that they can train others and they can train others. Doing that gets us to generational growth, which is really the only way to see multiplication. So um, we're not going to spend time talking necessarily about multiplication. We talked about that last hour, actually, some. And we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about what it is we're trying to train specifically, what I want to focus on is this process and how we can do this process effectively. So in theory, you could take this and go out and apply it to anything. You know, any, any skill that, one, that you want to teach to somebody else so that they can teach somebody else, you can use, you know, this approach. And in one way or another, we see this approach used in a lot of different fields, whether it's, you know, medical schools have a version of this, you know, any kind of um, apprenticeship, if it's any good, is going to use some, something like this. But we want to be excellent at this for multiplying disciples and in my case, I always throw in simple churches because I don't think it's possible to really multiply disciples without also multiplying 
simple churches. So I kind of usually clump those together. So uh, the first comment is just to give us um, general proportion of how I think about these from a duration perspective. Um, a lot of times I will throw in model and assist together, but if you have to separate them out, this one is virtually instantaneous, right? Um, I'm trying to think of specific items in the cluster of discipleship topics that I train in, probably the one that takes the longest to model would be what I call a three-thirds group. Some people call them DBS Bible studies or T for T groups, or there's a lot of different names of things that are very similar. So I figure I can model one of those in two to three hours, okay? A lot of the things you can model in five minutes, you know, it's just a concept, how to communicate a concept. I can model that in five minutes. So the model can be virtually instantaneous. For the cluster that I usually focus on for multiplying disciples in simple churches, the basic skills, I, I try to think of the model and assist phase, I try to aim for completing that in three months, just to give you a feel, you know, for generally how I think about it. The watch phase is going to be much longer. The watch phase is going to last probably a minimum of three years. It could be 10 years or longer. So, I mean, I'm just going to we'll make up a number here and I'll say um, five years. But it could certainly be longer than that. And then when you leave, that's, you know, indefinite from that point on. In regard to those items, you're no longer serving as the coach. So what do each of these look like? Modeling is me doing it in their presence so they can observe it whatever the skill is, whatever the tool is. I'm doing it in the presence so they can see it. The assist is I'm present while they're trying to do it, probably poorly, because, you know, it's their first time or second time or, you know, until they get it, the basics down. They're doing it, but I'm there and I'm, coaching them through it. No, wait, you know, don't, for, don't forget to include this or, you know, you shouldn't really do that or do it more this way or more that way. I'm coaching them up. I'm there. The watch, they're doing it and I may not even be physically present because I already know they have the basic skills. But if I am physically present, I'm in the background. I'm just observing so I can make fine find adjustments, little suggestions for possible ways to improve, you know, afterwards. And then leave means they've got it down. So <clears throat> I think of these as 
kind of developmental phases on their part. They're in developmental phase one when at the beginning when they don't know a thing. And so, <clears throat> yeah, I, that's why I need to do it for them. They don't have any idea what it is. Developmental level two means they have an idea about it, but they don't have the basics down yet. Three is they've got the basics down. They still need some improvement, growth, some fine tuning, but they've basically got it. And then four means they are thoroughly competent, not only to do it, but to pass it on well. Then, I, then at that point I can leave. So you can think of this as you need to go through this for every school skill or tool involved in the the larger issue so for example if i'm doing this on making disciples i'm i'm going to have a bunch of different skills or tools that i want i need to go through this process on so um i, I need to you know make sure they know how to share their faith right so I need to go through this process with them. Maybe I need to teach them how to prayer walk. So I go through this process with them on prayer walking and so on. One really common mistake is a lot of people, as they're coaching somebody else, they view the person as being at one of those levels, like level one, two, three, or four, as a person, that's a big mistake. They're at one of those levels in regard to a specific skill or tool. So for example, what level am I? Well, um, so let's say in the realm of music, I am a D1 at music theory. I don't really know what music theory is. I have the vaguest idea. To me, it sounds like a theory that music exists, but I know that's not it. You know, it has something to do with like chord structures or I, I don't know. I'm D1. I'm a D2 at yodeling. All right. If I tried to yodel for you, you probably would not be impressed. But I can give a rough approximation because I have watched The Sound of Music several times, <laughs> right? So like I can sort of emulate the little yodeling stuff they do there, but I don't really know how to yodel at all. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, yeah. Um, I am a developmental level three at um, playing the harmonica. So like I'm not professional level. I mean, I can teach others, you know, the basics of playing a harmonica. I can play hundreds of songs, but I have to have the music. I can't do it by ear like people who are really good. And so, you know, like I'm a level three. And in music, there is nothing in music that I'm level four at right? I'm just not a musical guy. So, but what level am I musically? 
depends. What are we talking about, right? And the same thing is true. We need to be aware of how we're relating to the person in regard to a specific tool or skill or concept, right? So that's a common error that people make. Um, another um, common error is a lot of people, we have a, um, an approach to interacting with people that we're coaching or training that we're comfortable with. And we just, that's the role we play. That's, that's what the interaction looks like. If to do this well, we have to change what that relationship looks like, that coaching or training or mentoring relationship looks like as we progress through these. At the model phase, I'm very, or we need to be very directive. You know, it's not like they need a lot of encouragement, that we need to get their input. They don't have a clue what's going on. So we just tell them, this is what it looks like. This is, you know, the important points I want you to notice. This is when we're going to do it. This is how we're going to do it. This is the standard that I want to see, you know, you achieve in this. I'm telling them. I'm not asking for their input. There's none of that. The assist phase is kind of similar to that, but sometimes they need some encouragement on that, right? Maybe it's really bad the first time and they, they're getting discouraged or whatever. So I need to add in the encouragement, but I'm still very much directing what it looks like, you know, what the standards are, what, what we're looking for, when we're going to you know, work on it, how long we're going to work on it, all of those things. I'm determining that still really in the assist phase. But then there's this big switch as we transition from assist to watch. And I want to notify them when this happens. Okay, you've got the basics. You're good to go. Now, from this point on, you're taking the lead in this. What, you know, here's some things I, you know, that maybe still need to be worked on related to this, but you're going to determine when we do it, how hard we're working at it, what order, you know, maybe we're addressing those things in. And I'm always taking their ideas or their opinions into consideration and leaving the final decision with them. At the beginning, maybe I'll speak up a little more and say, mm, I think instead maybe we should do this, but what do you think? You know, later, I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to speak up less and less. I'm going to be less and less directive. But it's a pretty sudden switch as we go from assist phase into watch phase. And then here, during that watch phase, not only are we less directive, but we still need to be really highly encouraging because they're realizing, whoa, there's a totally big difference between having the basics and really mastering it or really being able to train others well in this. And so they tend to become discouraged. So here, you know, there's some input and all of that, but they're, they're driving the process and you're 
heavily encouraging them. When you get to the leave, it totally depends on their personality. Um, There's some people who think they're ready for you to leave before they're really ready for you to leave. You know, they're kind of cocky, whatever. There's other people, they'll be absolutely great at something, but in their mind, they're always the learner, you know, oh, there's, you know, there's still so much I could do better and so on and so on. And you just need to say, you're more than ready, you know, it's time for me to leave. So sometimes you need to force it. Sometimes the, the separation, sometimes, you know, you may need to encourage them like, okay, but, you know, contact me if you have questions because you know they're not really ready to leave and so on. But it's a very different relationship at these four levels. Um, important thing, model and assist determines the quantity or the rate of reproduction that you're going to see. And the reason for that is as they graduate from the assist phase and enter the watch phase, one of the first things that that marks that is they are starting to reproduce. So you're guiding them, okay, now you're, you're needing to train the next generation. And so they are already reproducing whatever it is, the tool, the skill, the concept. They're already reproducing that at this point. So this, however long that is, that determines the reproduction rate. So I know some of you were here last hour, but not everybody was. So I'm going to do a real quick summary of one thing we talked about. If you start with one disciple and over a period of 10 years, every year, every disciple reproduces, you end up with 64 disciples. If that's one year, if you did it nine months, you have over a thousand. If you do it every six months, you have over 8,000. If you do it every four months, you have over a million, and if you do it every three months, you have over a billion disciples at the end of the 10 years. So keeping that short makes a difference in the quantity. By the way, this is about 17,000 times faster in terms of its impact or greater impact, 17,000 times over a period of 10 years. That's a lot. In case you're not a math major, that's a lot faster. (laughs) Um, So yeah, it's only, you know, four times as fast. Actually, this should have been 18 months, but anyway, the idea is right. It's a lot faster. So this determines the reproduction rate because reproduction starts to happen as they're leaving assist and going into watch. The watch determines the quality. And that's why we take as long as it takes. 
If it takes 10 years, great. It's absolutely worth it. Because what good does it do to have a billion sorry disciples out there? America? Yeah, it, it does us no good whatsoever for the kingdom. So however long it takes, I put five years here, but if it takes 10 or 15, it doesn't matter. As long as they're staying faithful to the process, they're taking it seriously, they're making genuine efforts to, to, to continue to grow and learn. As long as that's the case, we stick with them. Now, there's plenty of cases where people aren't taking it seriously. They're not being faithful. They're not making genuine efforts. Well, okay, so that's some of the, you know, not so good soil, you know. Maybe that's the weeds, soil with the weeds or the soil with the rocks or whatever. But if they're staying with it, however long it takes, because the quality is determined by that phase. Hello, Disciple Makers Podcast listeners. I want to invite you to the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum here in Nashville, Tennessee on October 5th and 6th. Jesus had a strategy, a plan, and a roadmap for making disciples. In other words, he was highly intentional. He guided, coached, and developed his disciples into full-on disciple makers. And by living out the Great Commission, they changed the entire world. We're constantly gaining new insight about intentional discipleship as we look closely at Jesus. And if we're thoughtful and prayerful, we can apply many of those same practices today. So head on over to discipleship.org to buy your tickets for the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum. I look forward to seeing you there. And then a lot of people who use the MAWL acronym like to make this launch. Don't do that. They're launched as they leave, assist, and enter watch. That's when they're launched. This is leave. That just means I am no longer needed as the coach, right? I'm not breaking relationship. And I don't know, people give me grief about that all the time. And I want to demonstrate what I mean. So this will just take a minute. <clears throat> hey, mom. Yeah. Yeah. This is Curtis. Yeah. Listen, I, I can't really talk right now. I just have a minute. Could I talk to dad real quick? Yeah, thanks. Hey, dad. Yeah, yep. Listen, um, I'm actually over in uh, Tennessee right now. And man, the weather is so much cooler here. You know, it's been so hot at home all this time. And I'm just really enjoying having a little break from that. And so I was thinking I might go for a bike ride tonight. I was wondering if you could you could drive over here and, and watch me ride my bike. You can reschedule your doctor's appointment. 
He'll be there next week. Ah, oh, come on, Dad. Okay. That is ridiculous, right? My dad taught me to ride a bike when I was a little kid. And, you know, he went through that. And guess what? He left. I don't need him to come watch me ride my bike every time I ride a bike. Now, is he still my dad? Absolutely. Do we still have a great relationship? Of course, as long as I don't make calls like that too often. Um, he left. So don't give me grief about the leave, all right? Sorry, little, little soapbox there. Um, but speaking of the teaching somebody to ride a bike, it's a great analogy for illustrating this process. We don't often think about it, but the first step in a child learning to ride a bike is them seeing somebody riding a bike. We don't often think about that, but that's been true for every one of us. There's only one exception, and that's the guy who invented the bicycle. Other than him, all the rest of us, our first step was we saw somebody riding a bike, and you're, you're a little kid, and you go, ooh, when I get big, <laughs> I'm going to do that. That looks fun, right? The day comes for the assist, right? So, of course, you can cheat and use training wheels, but kind of the international time-honored classic approach is a parent puts a child on a bike or a sibling or something puts them on, holds the handlebars in one hand and the seat in the other, and you walk along beside the kid, right? It's like, don't lean on me, you know, a little faster, okay, that's good. As long as you're holding onto the bike, that's the assist phase. But that doesn't last very long, right? You're not walking around hour after hour holding onto that bike, man. Your lower back would be killing you at the end of that. The watch is when you go, okay, I think you've got it, and you let go, right? The moment of truth. Most kids, what happens? They fall down. They skin their knee. You pick them up. You wipe the blood off. You put them back on the seat, and you start, you know, you start going again. And then you let go, and they may fall three or four or five times. But then one time, they get it, and they've got the basics. They can stay up. So then you're in the watch phase. And unfortunately, a lot of parents, that's the end of it, right? That's all there is. They don't watch. But the responsible thing to do is to watch because we need to make sure they've got lots of other fine-tuned skills, right? So that's where you get the overachieving parents who put out the, the little cones and you do the, right, the slalom, right? They need to be able to turn, left turns, right turns, stopping. That's important. When, so our oldest son, he was the first child I was teaching, and um, we taught him on a, a little bike that had, uh, um, that we used training wheels, and he had a bike that had the foot brakes. But then when we put him on without training wheels, and I'm holding him, you know, to walk, and then I let go, and I forgot, this only had hand brakes. 
And so he was about to run into a tree and he's going, and he's going, dad, what do I, boom. And he hits the tree pretty hard actually. So it's important for him to understand how to stop the bike, right? And then hills, you know, getting out of the saddle to go up hills, streamlining for downhill so that when they get to be competitive racers and earn all that money on the tour, you know, that they'll, they'll be able to do that. And then combinations of those, they need to know how to, you know, brake going downhill. Don't just mash that front brake. You'll go head over heels, right? You got to emphasize the back brake on steep downhills. And so all of these things, rules of the road, all of that. And if they don't have all of those skills, you can't let them just go anywhere, anytime that they want. You need to limit right where they're going by what skills they have. So at first, they can ride around the block where they live or something like that. And then later they can maybe ride to school and back, but nowhere else and so on based on their skills, their understanding, their ability. But then there comes a point when they've got all of the necessary skills to go whenever and wherever they want. That's when we leave, right? And so that's, that's the process that we have in mind. Um, okay, so a tool that I find helpful, and really this tool is only appropriate if you're working with literate populations. If you're working with non-literate, we've got, you know, other ways that we need to do this. But for most cases here in the U.S., you know, we're mostly working with literate audiences. So I like to use what I call a coaching checklist. So here we'll have a list, tools, skills, or concepts that I want them to be able to do. So for example, you know, I mentioned a little while ago, um, sharing the gospel. I mentioned prayer walking as another example. So for me, I've got a list of about 20 plus, 20 some skills that I list out here for multi skills, tools, and concepts related to multiplying disciples that I'm trying to pass on. And then over here, I'll indicate what level I think they're at for each of those. So what I try to do is get them just past D2 to D3 in that whole list. And for me, you know, depending on your setting, your situation, all of that, maybe your timetable will be different. But I'm trying to get them to just starting D3 in that whole list within three months. So I'm really intensive during those three months. Model and assist on all of this stuff. First of all, that doesn't confuse them because I'm not relating to them very differently one day to the next, because everything I'm working with them on pretty much is 
model and assist, model and assist. So they're used to me being directed and stuff. And I'm trying to, they don't know necessarily that I'm, I've got this list, you know, at that point, but I'm trying to rush through to get them to just starting D3 on all of those within three months. And then I show them this list. And I say, okay, here's all the stuff we've been working on these past three months. Um, how would you rate yourself on each of these? And I, so I described to them the, the levels and I let them, you know, rate themselves because I'm giving them a blank, blank list. And let's say they do something like that, right? So most of the stuff, yeah, they say they're D3, they even D4 in one of them. Um, but then these two, they're not that confident. So, okay, in, in those cases, I'll say, great, let's work on those. Let's get you up to a D3 in those. On this one, where they say they're D1, I know they just weren't paying attention when we did that. I know for sure that we, we covered that, but for some reason, totally over their head. So great, so I go back, we start absolutely day one, like they've never heard of it before. But anyway, we're trying to get these three items up to early D3, and then kind of a graduation ceremony. I say, hey, I think you've got the basics, great. And so I explain to them how we're gonna start functioning. You know, we, you know, they'll probably feel like I've been kind of pushing them up to this point, and it's like, okay, now you're gonna set the pace, you know? And you're gonna determine what, what you wanna work on improving next. And so maybe they say, you know, I, I think I need to improve on prayer walking and I'd like to focus on that first. And maybe I think they need to focus on something down here. And so I'll say, yeah, prayer walking is pretty important, but you know, it's up to you. But I think maybe this skill would be more important to focus on improving on first because of this, that, and the other. But, you know, it's up to you, right? And so I'm letting them determine the timetable, the pace, all of those things. And as long as they're faithful to the process, I'm working with them. And then, you know, as I said, sometimes, depending on the, person, pers the person's personality, maybe they think they're D4 before they really are. Maybe they're... D4 and they don't, they won't recognize it. And so you need to know whether, you know, to, you know, say, no, I really need to leave or, okay, if you think you're there, you know, here's some things I think you can improve on in all of these, et cetera, et cetera. You know, how about if I touch base with you, you know, in a month and we, we see how those, how those things are going or whatever, but we're working off of the same page and what is really helpful on this for the generational reproduction is you're making sure that all you have defined these are the important tools, skills, and concepts, and you haven't, in a sense, equipped the next generation of disciple until they can do all this and train all this to a high level. So if you fail to have a list like this, very few people 
will be faithful in training the next generation in all of these things. You know, they'll put special emphasis on the things that they are the best at or whatever and just kind of gloss over the others. And then they're not going to be holding those people accountable to train, be training the next generation in the same way. And so it's like making a copy of a copy of a copy. And pretty soon you can't read, you know, you have no idea what the original said. If you have something like this, the chances of the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh generations looking like the first generation are way higher, way higher. A couple of questions I noticed. So actually, I think you were first. Can we get a copy of your list? Yes. So you could either... Here, theonlyonebook.com is you can go there and get a free ebook that is this book, and I think I have a copy of it in there. Um, there is a sample list at zoomade.training, which is a free introductory training in all of this stuff that's online. And it's in 40 languages. So if you're working with other language groups, it makes it nice that you can, if you don't speak those languages, you can still know what they're hearing and reading. Where, where is it on that Zoom training? Is that a resource? Um, it would be in the guidebook, which is a download oh, in yeah. session one. So that would be, a, but this, your list may not look exactly like my list. But you need to put serious thought into what goes into your list, right? Because there's different tools that we can use to accomplish a lot of the purposes that we're trying to equip people in. So like a great example is sharing the gospel. There are greatly differing approaches that will be the best approach depending on the context where you're sharing the gospel based on people's worldview their what language they speak etc etc and so like in zume the sharing the gospel is a creation to new creation story Okay, well, great, but maybe in your context, three circles works better. And in their context, the Romans road works better. And in their context, the um, any three works better. They're working among Muslims. Or in that context, you know, they're focusing more on Buddhists or Hindus or this education level or that. And so what you put there may be very different. And similarly, a lot of the specific tools that I put, I, I tend to think a lot of them are pretty close to universally helpful, but you may have another one that'll accomplish the same purpose. So for example, I used to have one that's a tool I created called Disciple Chains. And I thought it was pretty good. And then I ran across a buddy who had a tool that basically accomplished the same thing and was simpler so it was easier to reproduce. So I changed my list. I took discipleship chains off of it and I put that other tool on there. So there's nothing magic about the specific list that I use in Zoom A, for example, 
it's an example list for your context, you'll wanna come up with your own. But it matters because if you leave something off, you can't be confident it's gonna be reproduced. So you wanna put serious thought into what goes onto your list. Hey, I want to interrupt this episode real quick because I want to give a shout out to four of our key partners who will be leading track sessions at the National Disciple Making Forum coming up in Nashville, October 5th and 6th. Check out Awana for information on family discipleship at awana.org. Take a look at Mercy Multiplied for discipling men and women who are hurting and struggling. Their website is mercymultiplied.com. Do you find yourself wanting to help in transitioning your church to a disciple making focus? Then go to navigatorschurchministries.com for more resources. And lastly, should you need help with sustainable discipleship models, head on over to sustainablediscipleship.com. I encourage you to join one of the track sessions that these organizations will lead at our forum. We want to thank Awana, Mercy Multiplied, Navigators Church Ministries, and Sustainable Discipleship for their support. All right, let's get back to the episode. Uh, you were next, I think. Yeah, so um, I've shared. So let's say I've shared the gospel with somebody. They respond. They want to get into a simple church, and I begin. Well, how soon do you introduce the three thirds uh, tool in your experience with them? I mean, is it the first? So the the question for those listening on the podcast is: um, If you lead somebody to faith, how soon do you introduce the three thirds group? which is a format of Bible study that we train everybody in. So technically that is an off-topic question. But this once, just because I, I like you, um, I'll answer it, is the first thing I do is equip them to share their faith and have them make a list of 100 people and pick five to share with right away. And if any of those people come to faith, then immediately, and I follow up within, within 48 hours, then immediately after that happens, we'll s- introduce the three-thirds group as I meet with them and model what that looks like, that three-thirds group looks like with that person plus the people, one or more people they just led to faith. If nobody comes to faith, I may delay it a bit, you know, so I don't necessarily do it right away. It depends on if they're successful leading people to faith right away. So, but that is off topic. Any on topic questions? Yeah, it seems like uh, these are all like uh, competency things. Um, do you address character things within this? That is a great question. What I would suggest is you do put them on there on your list, but you cluster them at the bottom. And you do kind of note where you think they are and you can talk about where they think they are, but those aren't passed on in the same way as tools, skills, and concepts. And, you know, that's also sort of a moving target. So one, one of the issues that I've struggled with historically has been, pride 
okay, so, you know, no doubt early on I was a D1. And let's, I would say, you know, I can confidently say I think now I'm, I'm in D3. But what my D3 looks like may be very different from somebody else who has never struggled with pride, you know? So it's like, there, in a sense, there can be different standards based on what my inherent strengths, weaknesses, tendencies, proclivities are. And so it's, and they're not, I can't teach you. I can teach you about humility, but I can't teach you humility, you know? And so it's something I would encourage you to include on the list, but in some senses, it's not subject to that mall methodology nearly as much. That's more an issue that's handled in what we call accountability groups. So that would be a place where those are addressed ongoing but the coaching checklist, that's more of an FYI. So you might, like, if you notice someone having an issue, you might cluster three or four of them within their... Yeah, well, I, what I would do is have them raise that in their accountability group, which for me is one of these items. Accountability group. Another question, like, um, does this change culture to culture, or does it pretty much stay the same um, this list might change, but this structure, if it's a literate culture, I like this, this tool. Yeah. For you personally, like, um, like how many people are you walking with a, on a list like this? Do you have like a target for how many you're doing with a D1 to D2 before you move into a, a greater number of the watch? What, what That's a great... Yeah. Um, so when you're teaching these guys to go be disciples, right? They're bringing more people. So are you? If they're at you know two or three, and you're at the early phase of your watch, you know, I assume you're more hands-on. So. Yep. So before I get the questions, were how many people can you do this with at a time? Well, and then. Yeah, so all of it. So first, I want to note that model and assist in most cases is a one-on-one -on -one type of a thing. Once you get to the watch, you can do that in groups. And so that inc incorporates peer mentoring as well as your coaching. And the model and assist tends to be um, more intense. The, the model and assist in most cases, at least for some, a lot of the tools and skills, not so much the concepts, needs to be done face to face. So like I, it, I, I wouldn't know how to really coach somebody in the model and assist on prayer walking without being with them in prayer walking together, right? The watch, you can often do at a distance. You can do that on the phone in many cases. You can do it, you know, at a distance, the watch. So it's possible to model and assist like 
my encouragement, unless you're doing this professionally, like you're on staff at a church or a mission agency or whatever, for most normal people, you can really only model and assist for one church start at a time, practically. But you can model or, I mean, you can watch multiple churches at a time. Just a normal person, you know, not professional, just doing this in your spare time or whatever. So model and assist for one church at a time. Watch multiple churches at a time. Maybe, you know, I would say an absolute max. It just depends a lot on your personal situation and wiring, but maybe up to a dozen. You could watch at a time, a dozen churches. Um, <clears throat> asking, you asked specifically me personally, that's kind of atypical First of all, my spiritual gifts are around doing this kind of a process. And you know, I have kind of an apostolic bent in, in things. So, and I am now doing this full time. When I started doing this in the US, I was doing it with a full time job just on the side. And then as the network of house churches grew, they started saying, hey, why don't you do this full time? And I was like, that sounds great to me because the job I had, I didn't really like and wasn't that great at it. And so I do this full time. But it changes over time based on the scale. Like I'm co-facilitating 80 million practitioners of this globally. So... I spend some time at these high-level things and less and less at the grassroots. Now, I go, I still schedule time to go prayer walk my local neighborhood. We still have our weekly house church meeting, you know, in our home. I still schedule time to share my faith and so on. But the amount of time I'm spending at that level as a percentage of my total time is far less now than when I was starting doing this, far less. And so as you start having, you know, some of these quote, higher levels of leadership where you're then working at a city church level or regional church level or national church level or international, then that changes how many people you're mentoring at what level. So most of the people I'm mentoring now, the vast majority of them are leaders that are national level leaders. That's who I'm investing most heavily in. But I still do some of those lower level leaders, the, mentoring. So for example, I do uh, periodic, you know, one week trainings of groups and then enter an intensive coaching period for three months with those people. And so I'll do, you know, now maybe three of those a year, whereas before I was doing 20 of those a year or more. So it changes over time. But the higher levels you get at, the more people you can manage because they're more self-sufficient. There's more peer mentoring taking place and so on. So I don't know if that helps. But All right, we are out of time because I started late. I shortchanged you, but, but let me pray for you. Lord, we long 
to equip others well and, Lord, to be equipped well. So, Lord, I pray that something that we've covered here today would help each of us to be equipped better and to help equip others better. Amen. Um, you're free to go. I just wanted to mention this is my name, my email address, where you can get the free ebook. This is the network I mentioned, the international one, that you can get connected to the North American part of that global network. Um, so that's 2414. And then this is introductory online training and then just a, a vision site for people who have gone through Zume training. And that's it. Awesome stuff from Zume Training. Up next, we've got another episode from Curtis with Zume. So click subscribe to this channel to be informed for when it releases. All right, everybody, thank you so much for listening, and I sincerely hope you have a great day. See ya.